isn't your typical Deadology Coach podcast episode. If you follow my TikTok, if you follow the podcast and listen to today's episode, I talked briefly about my involvement in the Coco Briscoe issue on TikTok. And I explained why I began to advocate and get involved when it came to this issue around women being harassed and doxxed online by Coco Briscoe. And some might not agree with my involvement, and that's okay. But as I've said before, I felt the need to step in because nobody was doing anything. And once you listen to these episodes, you're going to hear what this experience was like for them. This episode, we're talking to Coco's former roommate who alleges that Coco Briscoe assaulted her. You know, what's going on, your, your part, but I wanted to get this out. What she has done to you guys, including Nikki, what she has done is the longer this went on and the more of a groundswell of support she got, the more intimidated you guys all became, the more afraid you guys all became. And it was uh, probably around uh, September, like mid-September, when the news of the other restraining order, that that came out. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, game over game over. So now there's two. This is going to calm down a bit. No, no, it did not. Um, She then someone asked her about it in the comments and she posts a video and she tells her version of events. And I knew when I heard it, I'm like, this is a lie. This, this is not how it happened. This is not how it happened. And I knew it. It just didn't make sense. And her version, um, Roommate, if you want to tell it, you can, or if you want me to tell it so that it's not too triggering, how whatever you w- would like. Her version of events. So her version of events, um, she literally lied about everything from how we met until the, uh, you know, <laughs> the events of that night. Yeah, I listen. And then I literally am looking through the comments and people are like, don't get people on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm like, you're the, you're the person we found on Facebook Marketplace. But I moved into that apartment around August 5th of 2018, and I lived with two other roommates. It was a loft-style apartment, so there was a second bedroom and a loft bedroom. So, you know, I lived with two other roommates, one in the second bedroom, one in the loft-style apartment. The girl in the second bedroom was moving out, and she was going to live with her boyfriend, and we had to find a replacement. And so this is about maybe late September, early October that this was happening in 2018. Mm -hmm. And so we meet her and she is super bubbly, charming, you know, all that good stuff. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's move her in. Um, My former, right. And so we move her in and she had left a house um, that she shared with Um, the landlord of the house. Uh, She lived in Van Nuys at the time. That's Mm -hmm. where it was. And it was a house of comedians that she had known through the comedian circuit around, you know, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And they were going to sell the house. And so they were telling her, you need to move out. So she finds us. So so she tells the story of she's the one that found you. Right. And And so she makes me sound, that's not what happened. And she makes me sound like this, insane maniac who slammed doors and walked around with an attitude which is not the deal at all and which that's are, a microaggression you know, because you're a, a mi- uh-huh yeah Thank sure you. is yeah, absolutely sure is. because and she's not revealing that i'm black either in these videos she never brings up the fact that you're black never and not that one time is, not one time because she knows 
because she knows it doesn't matter because let's listen, you know, you, you say it in the police report, she became ver verbally aggressive and verbally abusive. I don't need to ask any questions about yeah. what that means when a white woman mm -hmm. is verbally aggressive and verbally abusive to a black woman. I don't have to ask any questions. I knew exactly what that was. And mm -hmm. she did not want that out there because she knew, she knew like that would be it. That would be it. Yeah, absolutely. She, during that night, um, she actually, after she assaulted me, she looks me in the eye and she calls me a ghetto black bitch. And she tells me that I would be nowhere without her. And um, oh, she had used lovely. slurs before in our household. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she had used slurs in our household before. Like I was kind of telling you, she um, came home from the car wash one day and men that were um, cleaning her car and she's calling them the bean word. She's using the other slur. She's like, and I'm just that looking at her like, with what an the S? hell? That starts, starts with an uh -huh. S, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It starts with an S. Mm -hmm. And um, she at one point went to a work picnic. Um, and apparently there was another, there was a black woman there and she was also surrounded by other Hispanic women because that was the demographic of her job. Those, you know, and so she was like this big black girl kept, you know, being aggressive and taking all the free massage vouchers and like all these things. And the way that she would describe people of color was so unsettling, but she would sit in my face and be like, I'm so happy that you're my friend because you keep me aware of myself in these situations. I remember her saying, hold on a second. Now, uh, if you don't, Charlotte, if you're okay with this, I'd like to go back to the roommate. Cause I I'd like to hear her version of what happened that night. If you're okay talking about it, you don't have to, if you feel triggered, you don't have to. So yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about, I mean, I'm here, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And mm -hmm. it's taken me a long time to be able to speak about it because I've been scared of what would happen, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm tired of other people feeling like they have to fall on the sword, whether it be other creators or, you know, other people that are trying to sit back and call her out for the holes in all of her lies and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so that night, um, well, I'll start off with May 1st, May 1st, she and I both went to the liquor store at six 30 mm -hmm. and I'm not going to paint myself out to be a perfect person. There were times where I would indulge her by drinking with her. Mm -hmm. you know, and have a couple of drinks with her. So 6.30, May 1st, go to the liquor store, come home. About 6.30 until 9.30, I had drank, you know, some alcohol with her. I remember what I bought. I bought Jim, Jim Beam's Bean. apple. Yeah, Jim Beam That's, apple whiskey. That was in the with some ginger report. ale. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And um, she was drinking absolute pear vodka, I yes. believe. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, no offense yeah, to both of you, but ew. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's stay on track. Her education sorry. on that to be a little bit higher, you know. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> so I drank with her until 9.30 and then I decided I'm going to order some food and drink some water and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I was in bed by 10.30 that night. Like, mm -hmm. I'm really like, I'm, I unfortunately, I'm a lightweight of a person. So I had two drinks in and I'm two sheets to the wind. 
Like, (laughs) it's just how it goes. And I know my limits. And so I went to bed, I wake up at 3am. And I'm gonna go get some water. And so I go out into the kitchen kitchen area where our kitchenette is also attached where our dining room table was, it was a four seat high top table. Mm -hmm. And so I'm getting water and, you know, her and her friend, who is a male friend, are oh, out are we, there. Are we, are we protecting him? Because I don't feel like protecting him. I mean, I'm not going to say his name because I okay. haven't seen him pop up anywhere. I, I just, you know, to be perfectly honest, it is not even worth it to me. You know? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've done a lot of healing since the time. Um, <laughs> That's okay. All right. Hey, you know, um, so he, so they're out there and they're both drunk. She, mind you, it's 3 a.m. So starting from 6.30 p.m. until 3 a.m., that's about eight to nine hours of drinking. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're kind of laughing at first. Everything's fine. And then we get into an argument because she had asked me, are we being too loud? And I go, I go, oh, it's fine. I'm used to it. Because she would stay up all night long, multiple occasions. It got worse through the pandemic. I'd say during the pandemic, it was about maybe four to five nights out of the week that she would stay up and, and have herself a nice drink. Not even just a drink. Drinks, plural. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, during pre the, pre the pandemic, it was probably maybe like two to three nights a week. So it definitely got worse over time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm used to it. It's fine. You know? And I was like, but just keep that same energy when I'm playing my guitar at 1am. And I was mm-hmm. joking. Mm-hmm. And she had sent me a text a couple of days prior to that, uh, because I was playing my guitar at 1am. And she was like, I can't hear my TV over and but I was joking and her friend laughs and I start laughing and she got so mad I saw it you know that Cheshire cat look the whole yep. change of demeanor that's exactly yep. what happened and I turned around and I looked at her and I was like oh shit yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. and so it was like at that point she starts yelling at me and she's like see you always have an attitude problem you always do this blah 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 and I had enough you have to keep in mind that this is not just a one night instance this Mm -hmm. is a course of two years Mm -hmm. this is this is me going through this cycle with her over and over again Mm -hmm. and I was like and I turned around and I said fuck you and we started arguing and at one point maybe like five minutes into that I was like you know what I'm gonna go to sleep you're drunk. And I turn around and I start heading to my bedroom. She goes, look at her. Isn't she so fat? Look at the Ugh. way that she's built. And it, and it kind of triggered me because at the time I had, a, I have a really, I have a really unhealthy relationship with food at the time I was starving myself. So mm-hmm. her coming out on the podcast saying I was two times bigger than she was absolutely not because I was essentially going through an eating disorder, you know, and don't think for a second that she didn't say that knowing you were probably going to listen. Oh, and she knew it. Hear that. Yep. She knew it. We talked about, she would tell me all of the time prior to that. She would be like, wow, I'm so proud of you for losing that weight. When I first met you, you were just a lot bigger and you weren't eating right. And like, that was, yeah, that was a hot topic in our household. And so, um, she, I turned around and I walk over to the table and I'm like, what did you say? I'm like, that is so unnecessary. And then we're in arm's length of each other. Mm-hmm. And so she starts pushing me, like physically pushing me. And I was like, do not put your hands on me. Don't and put your hands on me. And I had my hands up as if I was being pulled over by the police because that's what you do as a person of color when you are up against a, you know, 
a white person that you know their white tears are going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I had my hands up saying, stop, stop pushing me. And finally she goes to push me and I grab her arms and they're in front of me. And I'm like, stop putting your hands on me. And I'm looking her in the eye and I wasn't holding her too tight. And so she flings her arms out and my hands are now in front of me with my fingers spread, right? Like kind Mm -hmm. of open, Mm -hmm. but she grabs my ring finger on my right hand and twists it outwards. And so I didn't know I, in the moment, my adrenaline was so high that I couldn't feel it, but I could feel the snaps in my Mm. finger. Oh my and, God. Um, yeah. And I push off of her and she punches me in the mouth. And then I, I smacked her with an open hand in the face. Um, and uh, sorry, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We can stop. We can stop. Don't worry. I don't want to stop because I have to tell this. I have to do <laughs> the doctor. Um, described it as a proximal phalanx fracture and if you look it up on google um it's actually hyperextension of the shaft of a finger or a a rotation by force and i have it right here on you know my paperwork my radiology paperwork i have all of my medical records and after she had punched me in the mouth and i had slapped her in the face she kept coming at me and so i remember at one point grabbing her hair and kind of pulling like a honestly an olivia benson svu move in the interrogation (laughs) and i remember i remember grabbing her ponytail and swiping her left arm from underneath her so she was hovering over the table and she couldn't move Mm -hmm. and i was like stop putting your hands on me i don't want to do this you know and it doesn't and i've had to convince myself not even convince myself but i've had to you know i've I've gone and I've done, you know, some therapy and I've, I've really worked through it. And something that I've been told is like, no matter how angry you get or how much you argued or what you said back to her, she had no right to put her hands on you in that way. Never. And I just remember and you all during that. have to yeah. convince yourself that you're remembering it the same way as it happened, where yeah. people oh, tell absolutely. you that didn't happen mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah. no happened I remember it this is what happened Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's something that I think a lot of victims of assault no matter who else it involves whether it's their partner whether it's a former friend a random stranger on the street I think that's a lot um that's something that a lot of us deal with is this guilt yeah this like what could I have done better and yeah I was I was sober that night I was completely sober at 3 a.m and I should have walked away from her I should have kept pushing but she knew my triggers you know yeah she did and she did that on purpose she she did it on purpose and so I just remember that and her friend finally grabs her to get a hold of her he never touched me Mm. yeah he was like in the back like shaken up like yeah and he was he sat there he did nothing he sat there he did nothing he was and he wasn't a huge guy but you can at least be in control of your friend like get your friend under check because he was watching her attack me and put her hands on me she could have walked around me I had my hands up to say I don't want to do this and you keep putting your hands on me if you were scared of me you could have easily walked past me to get away you could have easily walked to the other side of the table your room was right there Mm -hmm. and so um 
I backed away from the table and I'm like, I'm not doing this. And she proceeds to, that's when she's talking about me being a ghetto black bitch. You brought something up before we started recording, which is something I, because I feel like we're not, you know, no one's really grasping why this is such a big deal. The, the, the amount of people who are like, uh, what's the big deal? I mean, so what, they got into a slap fight. No. That's not what happened here. No, it was not. That's not what happened here. And there's an added layer to this because as you said, as a black person, I had to put my hands up. Like there's that layer, that moment of, this is something black people have to deal with, people of color have to deal with, that white people do not, which is that moment of, I have to restrain myself. I have to be aware, hyper aware of my next move here. And try to de-escalate someone who is intoxicated, which is sometimes impossible. And you know, the thing is, is my aunt actually has always told me, she was like, you never mess with a drunk person. You don't talk to a drunk person. You don't entertain them. I definitely learned that that night. It was really hard because I was just like, I don't know. I don't, this is somebody that like, it's not like we were just roommates. She was a friend, like we were friends, you know? And even though we were in this awful cycle of things and I felt like it took me a lot to realize like after I left that I was in an abusive cycle with somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just this heartbreak that was happening at the same time. And um, I just remember yeah, trying to de-escalate her, her friend, friend is not helping. Exactly, you know, and and lost your she friend, had... you lost your home, you lost your sense of safety all in one instant. And trust me, Absolutely. I know so much about what that's like yep. from my yeah. situation. And it yep. is Absolutely. like you've you're lost. You're like, how am I gonna economically do this? How yep. am I gonna emotionally do this? How am yep. I gonna heal from this? What Absolutely. what what got me? Charlotte, you know, like I said, I, I had the experience. It paled in the comparison of what you guys endured. And, but I stayed aware of her and I had heard, you know, what, when the whole Dinesh thing happened, uh, so all that stuff started coming across my feed because I had blocked her. And I was like, oh my God. I think Dinesh is a pussy. Dinesh is like, a pussy fact- too. Yeah. Yeah. Dinesh no, just Dinesh- such a pussy. The fact that he backed down from this pisses yeah. me off. Yeah. And, so that's when I started to pay attention. And that's when I got directed to Reddit. And I started contacting people because there were people on there that knew you guys, that were friends with you, that were part of this. And so this is like around, I don't know, June. And right around. I didn't know about Reddit until like two days ago. I had, I, no I had heard about it. I had heard about it through like reading comments and seeing it. And I was like, oh, let me check that out. And there was a couple people in there that that knew the people involved. And and at that point, I wanted to write about this. I wanted to write an article. And I had said this to Sarah. And Sarah was like, don't you fucking dare do this. Don't you fucking dare do this. <laughs> well, I think I, I think I said, like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but I but I heard don't you dare do this. <laughs> and yeah, I just so wanted I, you to be careful is all. I wanted, yeah. she wanted me to be careful. Oh, and like, I, everything that I said to roommate and like, I've said to everyone else, like I said to shadows, I said to any other person that came out and was like talking about how this woman was problematic. Like there was a military guy 
who posted a video recently about the like saying how it was messed up what she did to Nikki's husband. Yeah. And I was like, please be very careful because I don't want to see yeah. what happened to me happen to anyone else. Like yeah. I have been so concerned about everyone else's safety mm-hmm. because yeah. like my family was contacted. Like yeah. people yeah. showed up at my home. You know, yeah. what's crazy what? is she had posted a video. I saw this video of her crying in her car about how somebody had gotten the information to her family's house. How were you so complicit in the doxing of Charlotte and, and exposing all of her personal information? And it was okay. And it was a blow off then you're DMing people. You're doing all of these things to get you hurt, to yeah. get Charlotte hurt. But you know what? you sat back and now it's not okay. All of a sudden you want to make disclaimers and it's not okay. Nobody should be doing that. That's such a low life thing to do. Right. You know, whether you believe me in Charlotte or whether you believe, you know, miss girl over there, it's like unblock or unfollow, block her, whatever it is you have to do, block me. I don't care, but you will not do that. That's such a low life thing. So I actually like where she's saying like, that we posted that address. So there used to be this website. Um, it's defunct now. But when uh, I had to, I'll just give a little bit of background. I had to break my lease. Um, my landlord actually owns a government subcontracting company. And he did a background check on her. And there's this website called familytreenow.org. And the only reason I'm saying it is the website is defunct, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. showed like 40 of her addresses. And this was well after she was arrested that I found out about this. Mm -hmm. So I told like people knew about this website mm-hmm. and those addresses have been known for a while well yeah so, also, yeah you, all you have to do is is put in her name and then in the word address yeah like and it there's there's so many of these websites like i after she got arrested paid thousands of dollars to have my information scrubbed from the internet so uh as you know and i told you i legally changed my name the names mm-hmm. that she knows are not my legal name Mm-hmm. So, like, she can, you know, post Charlotte Rose Walsh as much as she fucking wants. Like, yeah. that person doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. that person doesn't exist on the internet. If you Google me, even if you Google my maiden name, which, you know, she posted on Reddit, mm-hmm. you can't find anything about me because mm-hmm. I deleted myself from these things, but she is on these things. Mm-hmm. So, those are public information and have mm-hmm. been public information for yeah, a while. But all absolutely. of a sudden, after she moved, moves when her content drops down she posts a video of herself crying and saying that her family has been doxxed yeah and and also isn't that the uncle that doesn't talk to her that like she posted a crying video or something Uh, i don't know what i know that the address the home is owned by a 70 year old uh and Mm, i know who that is and he and, and it's, a, it's a construction business is run out of the house uh-huh. and she's like and yeah. there's kids there he's 70 what what are you talking about like yeah. maybe maybe yeah. his grandchildren there i don't know but i mean i mean irregardless like it's just like you're only a feminist you only stand up for other women when you're the one that feels like you right. need to be stood up for in, in right. her case you know right. it's like you're not actually for us you're not actually supporting women the people that you predominantly attacked are women mm-hmm. you know it's like 
even after um just kind of like backtracking back to you know my version my my story my truth yes. about you know what yes. happened the night of my assault it's like she didn't ask me to leave like mm-hmm. when she says that i begged her not to call the police she goes i'm calling the police and i swear dead in the eye look at her and i go for what you assaulted me and mm-hmm. her friend goes you should wait wait until morning you know tensions are high talked her out of calling the police mm-hmm. and she never asked me to leave but i left on my own accord and as P.S. i'm leaving the apartment yeah mm-hmm. p.s that's not what he said in the police report and the witness oh statement. i know the detective actually like readied me for that he was like listen he was like i thank you for giving me that information because most people wouldn't give up the information of this person that's the supposed witness mm-hmm. but he goes since that was her friend most likely he's going to you know talk on her behalf mm-hmm. and <laughs> i like how you chose goes, your words carefully uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um <laughs> most likely the judge if it goes to court will throw it out because they understand that it's a biased statement Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I ended up as I'm leaving, she's going, oh, you're leaving now. Bye, bitch. Oh, you're leaving. And she's like negging me as I'm leaving. And I finally get over to my family member's house. And, you know, she goes, you need to call the police. I wasn't even going to essentially call them. I was so shaken up. I couldn't even think straight, to mm-hmm. be honest. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you've just been assaulted. She, yeah. She's like, you need to do this. And so I call them they arrive, they bring paramedics and they, mm-hmm. the guy was like, I could still bend my finger because it wasn't actually like injured on the knuckle. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, it doesn't, it's not broken. It's swollen. At this point it was like swollen and bruised. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days later I went to urgent care and they referred and they were like, yeah, you have a fracture in your finger. They referred me to an orthopedic office where they told me that I, if I didn't get this surgery, my finger, because it was crossing over my middle finger, I would have lost functionality. in it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I have two pins placed in the finger and it was an $8,000 surgery. Oh my God, sue her. And, and, and well, so and here's the touching thing. on that too, like she uh-huh. tried to say, like you said the nature of your injury, which was a hyperextension. You can't hyperextend from punching Extended. someone in the face. Right. Absolutely. And that's right. the thing that I've been like, dude, you know, it's pushed me to go, you need to tell your story because you do have a paper trail. I don't yes. show up with things without a paper trail. Yes. I'm not going to speak on something I don't have evidence for. Even if I wanted to get the lease to disprove that, mm-hmm. you know, she found me on Facebook Marketplace, I could still go and do that. That mm-hmm. has a paper trail. Mm-hmm. And so I go and they tell me it's $8,000. I didn't think my work insurance was still um, active. And so I'm like sobbing. And that was the day that I decided I was going to press charges because at that point I had only filed the police report on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then they had to inform her of that. And literally a day later, she texts me and goes, oh, you went to the police. Do you know that what this is going to do to my job? I could lose my licensing over this. She's like, you gave me a concussion. Where is the evidence for that? Yep. Yeah. I was like, I, you know what? You go mm-hmm. ahead. But baby, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so much more to the, show. The other reason why she doesn't want to mention that you're black is because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Who the fuck would ever believe that a black person would willingly choose to go to the police and lie, right? Like, right. that doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. No, no and la- that's the thing. Go ahead. Nobody would do, no, no person of color, no black person would do that. Right. Because 
A, first and foremost, if I don't ever have to talk to the police, I'm not going to because right. I know that there is a slim chance that I'm going to get justice in what I'm trying to do yep. or, you know, I'm not going to put myself in another situation where I could be put at harm. That's how police brutality starts. That's uh-huh. the gateway for it. Yep. And so I was like, I'm not I'm not doing I'm not doing this. So I ended up, you know, going to the police. I couldn't even write out my own restraining order because until my surgery, they had me in an entirely full cast. Yeah. Yeah. I said that to mind in the shadows when I was reviewing the report. I said, there's one section here where it's they're talking in the third person and we couldn't figure out what was going to go. Oh, it's got to be her hand. It's got to be someone wrote it for her because of her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I couldn't I just I was in such a bind at the time. Like I ended up, like I said, I stayed and recovered from my surgery in an Airbnb. Mm -hmm. while also trying to find a new apartment, while also trying to get all of my stuff moved out. I was under so much turmoil Mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally that Mm -hmm. like if I didn't have, you know, my brother available to me to talk to me and talk me through things, you know, and and my aunt with me, I would not have been able to get through it. And so Mm -hmm. I filed the restraining order and our court date was supposed to be June 19th of 2020. Mm -hmm. However, Um, I had a life or death situation happening back at home in my hometown. And that took precedence over that. And at that point, because it was maybe, maybe like two months out from that, I actually was like, you know, she didn't know my address. She didn't know where I lived. The criminal charges were pending. And so I was like, you know what? I'm safe. I'm, I'm going to go and be where I need to be right now. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know that she actually turned around and filed a restraining order on me until I mean, until Charlotte brought it to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. And she only did it. She only did it because she knew you had moved and she mm -hmm. did it a for the to be able to say she did it. But she knew you'd never be served because she didn't have your address. Absolutely. And then also, too, they dropped that. I guess they dropped that one. And I was just like, dude, you're. You're nuts. And in mid-July, they actually dropped the um, criminal charges against her because they said they didn't have a sufficient amount of evidence. Oh, but every and also to mention, I had went through victims assistance as well. And victims yeah, assistance victim's is advocate. not going. Yeah, they're not going to help you unless you have evidence. Like at mm-hmm. least out yeah. here in LA, they're like, you need, do you have your police report? So, do you have the medical records? Do you have all of that? You know, you have to verify yeah. all of that. They're all overloaded um so like i'm gonna step in where like it's been talked about how i got preferential treatment i will say that like the fact that i had the cell phone number of a police officer yes that is preferential um the day that i applied for a ppo I got to walk in through the police station because um, the uh, male officer who served her um, offered to show up with me to court that day. Mm -hmm. Um, So he walked me through the police station. So I did get preferential treatment in that sense because I knew those two officers outside Mm -hmm. of them responding to me and the fact that I had their cell phone numbers. But like I, I did get preferential treatment. And I understand that I did not face the challenges that roommate faced Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a white woman. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that roommate uh, was a woman of color until, gosh, I want to, 
you told me like a few months into me knowing you that yeah, you were yeah. a woman of color. Uh, and I, I had no idea. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, that makes it's, a lot you know, of the stuff that I've heard makes sense. Absolutely. And those are where we're filling in the gaps because like we're saying, she has a lot of holes and holes in her story. People are mm-hmm. calling her out on that and they're going, the math isn't nothing, sweetheart. What's mm-hmm. going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we're filling in the gaps to all of these things. She, I mean, she plays it up. She recently said she was scared every time I came into the apartment, baby, I came into the apartment with a police escort with two officers every time I entered because I didn't know what you were going to do. The first day, um, it was the day after Cinco de Mayo, May 6th of 2020. We go back into the apartment. I have a police escort. My aunt is with me and I had prepped the officers before I go, hey, I was like, you know, I don't know what state she's going to be in. Sometimes she, you know, she likes to drink, to put it light. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we walk in and the entire dining room table is covered in beer bottles. She's nowhere to be seen. I was going in to get my internet router because all the utilities were under my name. She hadn't Mm -hmm. paid me for utilities in about two months. I mean, we were during, it was during a pandemic and I was like, I'm responsible for the equipment. Right. And so I go in next thing, you know, she storms out of her room with no bra on looking like she just rolled out of the devil's ass crack. And she's like, I was going to call you guys. And the officers look at her like, ma'am, back up, please back up. Meanwhile, I am unrouting my, I'm unhooking my router and I'm shaking. Mm -hmm. I am shaking because Mm -hmm. she has this presence about her that when you know she's gunning for you, it's it's kind of crippling. It's terrifying. It's so terrifying. Like she, I also want to point out when I left my abusive situation, like that was weeks in the making. Mm-hmm. Like I had mm-hmm. figured out a place to live. I, as a bartender, like, you know, I make tips. So I would tell the person I was with, um, yeah, it was a slow night. Um, didn't make very much money. I only made $150 when really I made $700. Mm-hmm. And so my boss at the time was holding money for me and with a post-it note. And that's how I was able to escape my situation is by like lying and saying, yeah, I didn't make very much money. And my boss who was aware of it, like kept track of it for me. And I'm so grateful to that person. Like his name is smiles and he is amazing. He actually co-signed on an apartment for me that didn't work out. He's just, a, I love him. Um, Gave me a key to his house, everything. So he helped get me out of that situation. Like that takes planning. 